in a <clears throat> in a um, long-term study and practice course that I'm teaching, um, one of the one of the things that we're studying is uh, the parami, the perfections of the heart. Um, <clears throat> There, there are ten parami in the early Buddhist uh, teachings. And, um, and there's a very wonderful book um, which is available online free of charge um, by Ajahn Suchito. Uh, he's he's um, a monk in the Thai forest tradition. He's, he's a Western monk from England. And... Um, uh, and he has um, allowed to be published very generously a, a compilation of some of the teachings he's given um, orally on, on, on these parami. And I've, I found it um, really uh, quite a wonderful text to be working with. And um, so I'd like to acknowledge that uh, you know, I'm drawing a lot of the ideas for this talk, and, and one of the parami is, is metta, or loving kindness, and I'm, I'm drawing a lot of the ideas from this talk, from that, from the way he presents it, because I, I find it, um, uh, th- that there's a beautiful way that he, he, he comes from um, the wisdom perspective, to talk about metta. Um, and, and so I feel that it really uh, kind of shows the interconnection between um, insight, vipassana, and mindfulness practice, and, um, and, uh, and wisdom, uh, uh, sorry, and, and, and the opening of the heart in, with metta. So, um, so metta is often has often been ca- translated as as loving kindness or um, or friendship. Um, one of the translations I, I like is from another monk in this tradition, um, Bhikkhu Tanisaro, uh, who uses the expression goodwill. Uh, that we we can cultivate goodwill because because sometimes. Um, people say, well, you know, I, it's really hard for me to really love, like as a uh, kind of a felt emotional sense, to love somebody who has, you know, who I'm in conflict with or who has in some way hurt me. Um, but we can perhaps cultivate a sense of goodwill in that we, we don't wish them harm, we, we wish them uh, to to be well. So and then and and love also is a beautiful translation of metta, this quality of love, and I, I think it just brings it to it. So all of these translations, um, many of the the Pali words have, uh, you know, the ancient language spoken at the time of the Buddha. Many of these words have a, a kind of a spectrum of meanings. 
And, um, and this, this practice and this aspiration to, to cultivate the heart with kindness and with love uh, is really, I think, prevalent in uh, just about every spiritual tradition that I have encountered. In some way or another, that this is 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 uh, expressed. It's 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 one of the primary focuses of of um, of human spiritual practice. And as we as we reflected on as we began the day, um, we're all touched when we experience it. We're all it really really. Uh, and, and perhaps even changes us, uh, perhaps uh, opens possibilities for us in our lives that we didn't really um, recognize were there. Uh, so kindness, kindness of so many beings supports our lives in ways both seen and unseen. So. This quality of metta is, is actually, it's not something that we need to create. This kindness, this quality of, of friendship, goodwill, it's, it's a natural quality of heart that arises um, naturally uh, in certain conditions that are conducive to it. So, so we have you know, we see people who are, uh, you know, kind to their families or uh, perhaps kind to people who are close to them, um, kind to their pets, you know, but, but the kindness is not a consistent quality in their lives. And so, so there's a difference between feeling kindness, which arises because of causes and conditions, particular situations in particular contexts with particular individuals, and cultivating kindness, metta, as a, um, as a pervasive quality, as a kind of a, a ground for our lives. So, so that's where it becomes a practice. And that's where it becomes very uh, um, interesting and, uh, and, and gives us opportunities to see where are we, wh- where do we, what do we come up against when we, uh, we want to be kind and we feel obstructed in some way. So, um, so yeah, we may often find ourselves feeling blocked uh, from an attitude of goodwill by, by resentment or jealousy or grasping. So these are what are called in, uh, in Buddhist practice the afflictive emotions. And, um, and, that, and, there, and there are ways that we perpetuate a sense of being separate uh, and um, apart 
and independent and maybe more important than other people. And so, so we, when we cultivate metta as a, as a perfection of the heart, it's, it's transformative. And, um, and along with the development of insight leads to awakening in our lives. So, the, as, I, as I was just saying, that metta is a natural expression of the heart, and, and the heart can learn to move toward kindness. The, the heart can learn to prefer kindness and acceptance to anger, judgment, greed, jealousy, and so on. And, and that is in the direction of freedom from suffering. So when we, when we choose, when we choose to grasp, when we learn to recognize that we are grasping, or when we learn to recognize that we are um, just uh, judging or being critical or or pushing away in some way. Um, we begin to recognize that this is, this is how suffering is perpetuated in our lives. And we have these habits of heart and mind and, and action, speech and action. They're expressed in speech and action. And these are how suffering is perpetuated in our lives. So, um, so metta is not necessarily a warm feeling. It, it can be. It can be a sense of the heart opening and feeling warm and, and, and uh, a kind of very um, embracing, uh, loving of, of uh, some being or um, some even, you know, we can feel metta toward, toward the living systems of the world, the earth. But metta is not necessarily a warm feeling. Metta can be, can simply be a way of relating in our lives, which is open, which is connected, which recognizes how we are interdependent with all of life. So having that, cultivating that quality of metta can, can simply be, you know, bringing an awareness to how we relate to our experiences moment by moment. And relation, relationship is such a key um, thing. You know, I, I, I began the meditation by by inviting you to experience um, your relationship to the earth as you're singing. Um, our relationship to the air, to the temperature of the air. So through our bodies, we're sensing life around us. We're sensing um, moment by moment the unfolding life around us. and. And that 
that way of sensing is in its essence a relationship. We relate, we have a relationship with what we take in through our eyes. We have a relationship with what we take in through our hearing, through our sense of touch. We have a relationship with what we taste and what we smell. Um, and, and we have a relationship with our, our thoughts and our emotions and feelings and so on. So, um, so when, we, when we see people and objects around us, we hear sounds and we impute them. We impute these sounds to various sources like cars or a fan. And, um, and through perceptions, which is, this is another aspect of Buddhist teaching on the mind to really become aware of how we shape our experience through perception. Our perceptions are conditioned. And, and so we, um, we create a sense of a world around us, both outside of us, a world that, that we believe is outside of us, even though we're experiencing it as an inner experience. We have this sense of a world that we inhabit. And, um, and so in, in creating this sense of, I am in this world, and everything I experience through my senses is outside of me, is, is the world, I'm the subject, and everything else is the object, right? And so we have this sense of we're the center of the universe, <laughs> and we're the one who is sensing the world, and, and every thing and every one, I mean, and you know, the different ranges, different degrees of people who are awake in their lives, but you know, like the, the whole sense view, or self view, I mean, is a subject-object duality in which everything else is objectified. Everything outside of me is objectified, right? So, so and you are having that inner experience. Each one of you is having that inner experience of being the center of the universe and, um, and having the world, uh, you know, be it an object of your sensory experience. So, and this is the norm for unawakened beings, this subject-object duality. And um, and so we we come to really believe in this sense of the self that we create as somehow separate and real and enduring and and permanent, um, separate from the objects outside that are known through the senses. And we also have the belief that somehow this self is autonomous, that we're in control of this self, right? 
despite our inability to stop aging, illness, and death, and, uh, and despite the ways that we're genetically determined in some ways by you know, our appearance, by our, the body chemistry, um, and, and socially formed uh, by our upbringing, our, our values, our attitudes, uh, by our financial, our economic status in society, very formative, um, uh, and our education and so on in society, uh, societal norms shape our perceptions and shape our, our attitudes. But, and despite the fact that our body is totally dependent for survival on every breath and consumption of water and nourishment and so on. Um, and, and, and most fundamentally, what I was talking about earlier, about that every moment we are in relationship, that the world that's arising in our consciousness is arising in relationship with the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches, and everything around us. So, so we're totally interconnected, but despite that, this self-view is quite sure that we're autonomous and separated in control of our lives. So, um, and so, uh, so this, this, this dualistic view of, you know, which is the norm, um, is, is quite ignorant really, of the reality of our, our how, how we are very much a part of a, a web of life. And, um, uh, and there's um, an image, I think, in, in one of the Mahayana s- discourses that, that you know, in this, this interconnected web of life, if even one strand vibrates, it's felt throughout the whole, throughout the whole web. And, um, and there are scientific theories that talk about that as well. You know, the, the flapping of a butterfly's wing will affect the weather and on the other side of the world. And, and um, <coughs> I said, Jesus. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so it's profound, our, our, the interconnection. And so this self-view, you know, is, is really ignorant of, of this uh, profound interdependency and interconnection of life, which is a practice in itself to really contemplate that. And there are wonderful contemplations in some of the discourses to just really deeply reflect on our interdependency. Um, and so, uh, so as a result of this, this ignorance, you know, many, many people live with a, a feeling of alienation and, um, you know, feeling so uh, apart. And, uh, and at the same time, there's this compulsion to try to control, to control things in our lives, to, to, um, to make the 
the conditions and the circumstances of our lives the way we want them, the most comfortable and the most pleasant and, the, and, and, and in line with our preferences and so on. So, um, so and, this, and, and coming from this self-view, there's the assertion that if I am unhappy, if I'm uncomfortable, if I'm suffering, then the problem is somehow out there. You know, there's, in that world of objects, there's something wrong with one of those objects. You know, maybe there's something wrong with one of the people or something wrong with one of the situations. And that's the reason for why I'm unhappy. Or another very typical thing that we do is we make ourselves an object. And we say, there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm just not good enough. I, I just don't measure up. I'm flawed. I'm too stupid. I'm not attractive enough. I'm, I'm not skilled enough. I'm not articulate enough. Um, so, so we create, an op- we divide ourselves. You know, so, and we judge ourselves. And, and so the reason I'm unhappy is because, well, um, I'm just not capable of being happy. You know, so this is, uh, so we blame ourselves. We, we, we take on this burden of insufficiency. And, and, and maybe we alternate between feeling victimized and feeling not good enough. And, and many of us, uh, myself included, who have come to spiritual practice, come with a sense of, well, if I practice a spiritual practice, then I'll become someone who is good enough be happy. So this person, this being that I am, which is not good enough, I can teach this perf- this being to have perfect thoughts and perfect actions and perfect practice and then I'll be perfect and I'll be happy. Um, and all of that suffering will just disappear. <laughs> and uh, and I certainly, you know, I certainly came to practice with that illusion that that I, you know, yeah, if I just become somebody else, then I'll be okay. Um, and uh, and. Um, and it's a violence that we do to ourselves. <coughs> this, this attitude toward practice is a, is a violence. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a reason that many people start practice and then uh, they, they don't continue because uh, there's a disconnect. Um, and and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not right practice. It's not right view to to uh, practice in that way. 
the, uh, there's a kind of negation of our heart, our sensitivity, and there's no appreciation or joy, uh, taking joy in, in the qualities that we have, the, the gifts that are there that in each one of us, the beauty of each being that we are, which each one of us has um, a unique beauty. Um, so uh, essentially, there's no kindness in it, right? In that in that view, and so and so kindness doesn't grow from it. And 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 sometimes we meet people who who practice, and I and I, you know, the beginning of my practice was uh, with a teacher who was actually not very skillful, um, so uh, not not a real teacher. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I experienced that. I experienced a lot of self-judgment, self-repression, didn't feel kind toward myself, didn't, wasn't growing in kindness toward others. And um, um, so, so, so how can we, you know, of course, we want to cultivate more skillful speech, more skillful um, action, more skillful way attitudes. We want to cultivate a heart that is open and kind. Um, and so that is a, a development of who we are, but it's not a negation. It, it, it comes from a sense of coming home to ourselves. We come home to our bodies. We rest in the body, we rest in ourselves, we, we acknowledge our habitual emotional reactions without rejecting them, nor do we want to fall into them and just act them out. That's, that's not uh, Dharma practice. So, we bring an open-heartedness and an interest in how we relate to our experience, to our inner experience, and, and, and to others. And we can become aware of the emotional energy, the intentions and attitudes that how we, how we respond to our experience. So we can bring goodwill, we can bring generosity, understanding, and compassion to what we relate to. And this can cultivate a sense of a wholesome ground in which defensiveness, bias, prejudices, fault-finding, you know, the critical mind always looking for what's wrong. Um, you know, in that, in that generous, kind, open attitude, which is really part of mindfulness, then that critical rejecting mind doesn't, doesn't grow. And so we, we can bring an interest and an open-heartedness both to ourselves and, and how we relate to others. When we see people as objects, we very often use them 
as a screen for our own projections. You know, we project onto them. And, and then, you know, we, the, the habits of our mind get reflected back to us and the world that we create, which might be a world of suffering, is confirmed in our, in our experience. So just to give an example of that, one of the things that, one of the, the uh, sufferings, the habits of suffering that has been present in my life and comes from my childhood experiences has been a sense of, you know, I, in, in a group setting, you know, I, I, an old habit used to arise very strongly. You know, I don't belong. I'm not wanted. I don't fit in. And, uh, and so I would come with this, I would come into situations where I'd be, you know, interacting in groups, whether it's, you know, in, in my studies or in, in, uh, in work situations, and this would come up. And, and then, you know, there would be this, you know, wanting to close down, wanting to close inward. And, um, and as I began to become more mindful, I, I became aware of that pattern and um, and and just allowed myself to feel it so I allowed myself to feel that closing down that that fear that sense of being not wanted not belonging and uh, you know and I didn't identify with it as strongly, I didn't believe it because I was coming to understand that it was a conditioned, you know, uh, habit of mind, and um, and so you know, I would I would I would just allow myself, you know, I, like one of the things I used to do when I was in groups, would I would I would sometimes just try to push myself to. Interact, and then I would find myself saying things or interacting in a way that was not very skillful, you know, trying to be funny when I wasn't funny, or, you know, or, or, or trying to attract attention in certain ways. And, and so, so I, I, I stopped all that behavior because it was a lot of suffering in that. And, and I just let myself feel, you know, and then I, 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 I began to cultivate maybe ways of connecting with one, pe- one or two people. And, um, but a really important experience was at some point when I recognized how much I was projecting. Like I was projecting onto people that they didn't want me or they didn't like me or they didn't, or I didn't belong or, you know, I was projecting that. And, and it, was, it was a world that I was perpetuating by my projection and that somehow really seeing that, seeing that, just that habit of mind of projecting, uh, that conditioned perception was very liberating. And, 
And it's, I think it's really liberating to examine how we project our habitual attitudes. I mean, in very harmful ways, we project our habitual prejudices, right? Like, uh, like a person looks a certain way, a person talks a certain way, you know, a person has a certain, um, you know, accent to how they speak or, or you know, dresses a certain way uh, and we put them in a box, right? Um, so that is, uh, that's really harmful and creates, and, uh, and when we do that on a societal basis with a dominant culture, you know, projecting and biases onto people, that is uh, oppression, oppression of, of um, people who have maybe a certain color skin or a certain sexual orientation or a certain gender identity, which is not the dominant one. So, so it's, it's, it's part of this whole spectrum that happens, you know, the self-view. Uh, ignorance is perpetuated in, in, uh, in these habits uh, and ways that we um, project and, and, um, and create suffering. Uh, it creates separation, which leads to suffering. And so, um, so it really starts here. It starts, you know, it starts at home. Um, that uh, when we can, when we can be accepting of ourselves in a very deep way, we, we don't feel so driven to control. We don't feel so driven to prove ourselves. We don't feel so driven that everybody has to like us. Um, everybody has to be like us, and so on. So kindness toward ourselves is the doorway towards empathy and, and understanding. And empathy and understanding open the door to love and compassion. Empathy is a kind of a, a heart opening toward the experience of another. And understanding might use thought. We might try to use thought to understand what might a person be experiencing. But both empathy and understanding use imagination. And imagination is really, uh, it really can be um, something that we cultivate in our spiritual lives to help us connect with the others around us. And these lead us to a deeper awareness that cuts through the competitiveness and judgment that arises from clinging to our self-construction. And, and we realize that we are all, as the traditional greeting says, brothers and sisters, siblings in old age, sickness, and death. Suchito, uh, Ajahn Suchito says uh, in his, um, just to read a few lines from his, his book, 
When the boundary of concern, when our boundary of concern widens to include others, even those with whom we're in conflict, in an important respect, the suffering ceases. When we can care about others, you know, like a lot of suffering can come from blame and thinking that, that you know, others are causing our unhappiness. But when our circle of concern, our boundary of concern widens to include others, even those with whom we are in conflict, in an important respect, the suffering ceases. This, the Buddha pointed out, is suffering we can bring to cessation. In doing that, we're not just released from pain, we are broadened and deepened out of alienation into wisdom and compassion. So, just caring about others, broadening our circle of concern, brings us out of this alienation which is so painful. And, you know, how do we keep our our boundaries of concern narrow, competitiveness, comparing, seeing others as better, worse, or even the same as ourselves. We put people in boxes pertaining to their wealth or status or ethnic origin, gender, sexual identity, and so on. Even seeing, even saying that somebody is the same, like you're the same as me, you know, in a way, we put them in a box, too, when we do that, even, even that, because then we're saying, you're the same as me, and, and so I get uncomfortable when you act different from me, when you make choices that I don't agree with, or when you express yourself in a way that is not how I would express myself. So, so better, worse, or even the same can cause us to be intolerant and blind as to how the other is perceiving and experiencing many things quite differently from us. In, in our insight practice, kindness to ourselves and kindness to others are not in opposition. There's an ancient Pali chant on the boundless states, or the Brahma-Viharas, of which Loving-kindness is one. uh, Loving-kindness, compassion, um, joy, and equanimity are the the four boundless states. And there's this beautiful chant on suffusing all realms with these boundless states. And and it goes, uh, the first verse on, on metta goes, I will abide pervading one quarter, so like dividing north, south, east, and west, so pervading one quarter with a heart imbued with loving-kindness, likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above and below, around and everywhere, and all as to myself. So this boundless quality, to all as to myself. 
I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a heart imbued with loving-kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. So this can become, you know, it's, 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 a, it's something we can aspire to. It's not something that we will perfect, you know, overnight. And, and yeah, we'll forget. And yes, hostility will arise. And yes, blame will arise. And will we see it? You know, will we act on it? Um, or will we broaden our circle of concern? So I think that this practice invites us to cultivate a field of, of kindness, a field of intention to be with what arises without ill will. And to remember that it doesn't need to feel like an emotion. It doesn't need to feel like anything in particular. Although there can be a beautiful heart quality of warmth and caring. It's, it's a more process of staying connected, staying in touch, not blaming ourselves or others. And this sense of willingness to be in the space, in the field, without blame or ill will, helps us to open and allows whatever's coming up to be received, felt, and heard. And that is how transformation happens. Sense of willingness to be in the space, to be in the field without hostility, ill will, without blame, helps us to be to remain open and and allow whatever's coming up to be received, to be felt and heard. And it's in that space of presence. That is how transformation happens. That's very beautiful. Eh? Yeah. So let's just sit for a minute in silence. Just, and just uh, come to the body. And however you've been receiving, um, whatever you, has resonated with you, perhaps, or touched you, or maybe, maybe where there's maybe a, a place of discord or resistance. Just be present with whatever is happening in the body. Without blame or ill will. With an open heart.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.